DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator, and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints, and The Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. The Church has essentially five points that we can ground ourselves on in this process of discerning the Catholic social teaching. Number one, Jesus Christ. That's right. Number two, communion not opposition. That's right. Communion with Christ. That's what our spiritual life brings us into in relationship, into our hearts, in the interiority. But it also leads us into communion in other ways. Yes. Doesn't it? Yeah. I think this is one of the things that comes out of the social doctrine. I think it's also, again, particular to one of the, the major themes of the Second Vatican Council. There was that great journal that came out of the Second Vatican, Communio, that this emphasis on communion, that the role of the bishop, the role of Christ, is to, is to draw all to himself to do all that they all might be one. And this is to be juxtaposed from opposition. Now, practically speaking, in the social teaching of the Church, what does this mean? Well, clearly, clearly, clearly rejected in the social teaching of the Church is Marxism, or any smacking, smattering of Marxism. And Marxist ideology, Marxist philosophy, is based on the notion that there is, at the heart of the human experience, a clash between classes. Uh, and the opposition of classes. And then if we we're able to, to get beyond that opposition, then therefore we shall reach you know, utopia here on earth. Or you think of the present day, with unfortunately, with some of the, the ways modern unions have gone, there's that opposition between labor and management, and it's one side pitted against another. And it's also in capitalism. Uh, this mm-hmm. is one of the problems of capitalism, of this opposition of one individual against another, this competition that's always driving forward in order to, to lead us to supposedly some grander solution in the future. What the social justice teaching, the social teaching of the church wants us to understand is that there's a paradigm shift here. And this is probably one of the more difficult things to try to comprehend. This isn't some grand ideology or, or, um, or a technical argument. It, it's a, a, a shift in the way we look at the world which has to happen because of a relationship with Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. and that is we're not in competition. We, we don't exist to be in opposition with each other. We, we exist to be in communion with each other. And so all that we do ought to be directed towards facilitating that communion. So in, in our efforts to live out our lives in the everyday, it's wise to try to do so in the context of how does this build up the communion? How does this build community? Now, this can go too far. As we said before, sometimes the focus can just be community, uh, as though the community were the only thing that were important, and we can jettison doctrine, we can jettison Christ Jesus himself for the sake of maintaining our community. This isn't some sort of false ecumenical movement where we ignore the differences between ourselves. 
in order to sort of stamp unity on us and just pretend that everything's just fine. That's not what we're talking about, and that's certainly not what the social teaching gives us. We're talking about authentic communion, heart to heart, cor ad cor loquitur, heart speaking to heart. That's communion, instead of approaching everything with this oppositionist viewpoint. It helps give us an understanding at the very, very least of passages from Scripture where Jesus implores us to turn the other cheek. (laughs) Yes, that's right. That's a difficult one for people, or that even the appreciation of what was happening with the Good Samaritan, Mm. the fact that those who passed the injured man by were not, in legal terms, breaking any laws by Mm. ignoring him. No. Those things are rooted, that prejudice is rooted in the sense of opposition with another human person based on faith. That opposition can be um, an opposition of, 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 of real doctrinal problems, right? but it ought not get to the point where we are opposing the other human person so that we ignore them as our neighbor. Constantly, the, the, the work of the church, and we'll see this later in uh, Principles, the work of the church is to, to try to get us to understand that fundamental dignity of the human person that we all share by virtue of the fact we're made in the image and likeness of God. Punto, period. That's there. And nothing that can happen, no amount of sin, no amount of, of wretched, vile anger that we might have for them could justify, or they for us could justify, removing them from the communion of the human person, from that fundamental dignity. And so regardless of whether or not they happen to be the oppressive dictator or they happen to be the, the mean uh, manager or the, the, the irresponsible labor leader, regardless of any of that, they are still a human person made in the image and likeness of God. And we have to work towards working together, communion for a greater good. Praying for our enemies. That's right. He came right. for the lost sheep. Isn't that the the center of the gospel? It is. And there will be those out there who will say, but wait, 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 wait. I paid into a system, and I've worked very hard, and it's not fair for somebody else to come and take from those things. What, you're telling me that I have to be in communion with them? Those who violate Christian tenets, those who violate the Ten Commandments, I'm supposed to somehow still be in communion with them? Yes, <laughs> that's the go. answer. I mean, we had that wonderful parable from our Lord about the, the workers in the field, the guys who worked all day long, and the guys who showed up at the end of the day did a third of the work but still got paid the same amount. And the, words, the ones who were there all day long said, hold on, hold on, we've been here all day. How can, it's, not just, it's just not fair. It's not just for you to be giving them for less work what you gave us. We have to understand that it's, it's all gift. It's all grace and mercy. I mean, it, as though you, you had this, uh, uh, this right toward heaven, toward, the, uh, toward relationship with Christ. It's, it's a gift. Uh, and we recognize the great gift that is human life. And we recognize that our existence here is a result of the wonder that God has for us in sustaining our being, that it's all gift. Then we, we can start to get beyond those, those possessive, it's my right versus your right sort of outlook. I can almost hear people's minds kind of going as we're talking about this. Well, you know... Are you saying the state has to come in and, and, and take from this person, take the other person? Just hold on a second. Just hold on. Mm-hmm. At least we can agree. I mean, as Christians, we can agree that the message of the gospel is that, yes, you are supposed to stretch yourself and give freely to your neighbor. We agree that that is the gospel message. So mm-hmm. the question you must be asking yourself that I have to ask myself every day 
is to what degree am I doing that? You know, to what degree am I holding on to what is mine for the sake of maintaining something that is mine instead of building up communion? To what degree am I feeding into this oppositionist um, uh, attitude I might have towards others? I have to oppose them, and I have to do this, and I have to do the other thing in order to get the best on that person or to get more for myself. To what degree am I feeding into that? If, if our faith means anything, we have to ask ourselves, to what degree are we being stretched? There's, there's little doubt with that great quote from Chesterton. What did he say about Christianity? He said, uh, Christianity was not tried and found lacking. It was found difficult and left untried. Mm-hmm. Um, we are called to something difficult. Uh, and if these thoughts of, of being in communion and working towards communion and others of turning the other cheek, if these thoughts make you uncomfortable, they're supposed to. You're supposed to be difficult and to stretch yourself. And I would invite you to to pray precisely on that, uh, on this question of where am I being led toward more difficult or or less comfortable environs so that I can better follow Christ Jesus. Yeah, I would hate to have those out there who are listening to even this portion of the conversation, we're only in steps one and two of this understanding, to be crying out, oh, they're bleeding heart liberals. <laughs> or Talk to my wife. I'm or not- <laughs> are we talking about the authority of the church? And the, oh, they're just rocks hard conservatives. Right. I would rather think we're, we're more heartbroken Catholics That's right. who that. in that broken of our hearts, grace pours out of that, entering into the suffering of others, entering into the suffering of Christ. Exactly. In right. those that are around us. You know, I, I can't help but think of that parable of the man who is asleep and the neighbor comes and is banging on the door wanting some bread. He needs other things and That's he right. doesn't want to get up. He's tired. He's worked all day, <laughs> but yet he has to go yeah. and acquiesce to the needs of his neighbor. And that is is that's at its heart is it's a tough one it's the gospel the challenging road that's why he didn't leave us alone that's right that's exactly right that's why he's giving us the social doctrine to help us along the path of knowing how best understand and uh, or how best understand that gospel message and how to live it out but it's not going to be easy i mean i suppose you could say that if, if the first point of the social teaching is christ jesus the second point is to really pour ourselves into all that means by emulating him, by laying ourselves down. If we understand what true love can be, what charity really means, if the social teaching is about loving and loving in truth, then in the second part where we're talking about communion versus opposition, we're talking about laying down ourselves, engaging in those little deaths of every day. There was a a wonderful little book by Graham Greene years ago uh, called Monsignor Quixote, and in it, this little Monsignor is a country bumpkin priest out in Spain who's not very learned. He doesn't have the fancy moral theology degrees or understand the moral manuals. And, and the rector of the cathedral really looks down upon him because he doesn't know very much. Well, he happens to help out a cardinal who's stuck on the side of the road. And the cardinal gets back to Rome and makes him a Monsignor, which horrifies poor little Monsignor Quixote because he doesn't know where to get purple socks, for one thing. But eventually he ends up having to leave because he's persecuted now by his rector, by the pastor, for getting to be a Monsignor. And he leaves a town with the mayor of the town who's driven out because the mayor is a communist. This is Franco, Spain. Mm-hmm. And so around the campfire, the, the communist, whose name is Sancho Panza, naturally, is asking Quixote, Monsignor Quixote, you know, why it is he believes what, is he, what he believes? What, 
what could possibly drive him on? And, and how does he see the spiritual life actually helping him? Monsignor Quixote gives a number of lovely little answers, but in one of his answers, he provides an answer that St. Therese of Lisieux gave, which was St. Therese, who had wanted to go die for the faith, as you were saying before, instead of you know, being in a cloister, she wanted to go out and die you know, at the hands of some other religion for the sake of Christ, but she found herself inside the cloister, and so she prayed, Lord, let me not die by the sword, but by pinpricks. Monsignor Quixote shows this communist friend of his that it isn't some grand project of dying for the, the movement. It's in little deaths. It's in little sacrifices of every day. This is what we're being called to do. Now, this is the difficulty of you know, turning your cheek, of accepting the pain of having to immolate yourself in what you desire for the sake of others. This is the model that Christ gives us, laying our life down. And we do so for the sake of community and not opposition, because if we're about the opposition, then Peter would have been right to take up the sword against the guard. But he wasn't right. We're called to lay ourselves down. We're called to emulate ourselves, to forget ourselves, to leave ourselves behind, to embrace the pinpricks of everyday life so that we can truly bring Christ's message to the world. I'm thinking of Dorothy Day. Mm, yes. The, the same critics who will attempt to make her out to be a communist or some for trying to organize a movement again, are the same voices who are organizing their own movement to accomplish <laughs> something. She's a fundamental example of the five points that we'll talk about. Absolutely. An expression of that, clearly. But some people don't look at how she approached, you know, like, number one, that Jesus Christ is the yes, center. Yes, exactly. And that's something that, unless you read her work, you're not necessarily going to understand that. For years, I always kind of had this this strange notion of who Dorothy Day was. But then when I actually sat down and read mm -hmm. the woman, it's remarkable how much she loved Christ Jesus. She went through a great lengths, great lengths to try to form herself in an authentic Catholic spirituality grounded in the saints, in St. Teresa of Avila, in St. Teresa of Lisieux, in St. Benedict, so that she could understand who Christ Jesus was and better give herself over to him. She prayed the liturgy of the hour. She went to Mass every day. She, she spent time in front of the Eucharist. She went on retreat at least twice a year. I mean, long, serious retreat. This was a woman totally dedicated to what it means to be a follower of Christ Jesus. And the rest flowed from that, and she understood that priority. She didn't do what we were saying before. She didn't put the horizontal first. She looked up to God and allowed that vision then to affect her love for neighbor. How would she express that communion, not opposition, then? Because you've seen the pictures as well, where she has stood, or, or I'd say sat yeah, at protests, right. while armed men are trying to, uh, in authority positions, are telling her, you can't protest. Yeah. No, the, the way it expresses itself is, you know, on a very practical level, in those, those homes that she had, the Catholic worker homes, in accepting everyone. I mean, she talks about, she writes about how there were some men who'd come into these homes who would be very hostile. And for a woman, sometimes all by herself, it was very dangerous. But she continued to have that. She felt she was called to witness to communion instead of opposition. And in the case of the protests, especially with the question of the nuclear warfare, that is the, sort of the height of opposition, you know, to the point where we can be so opposed to another ideology or a nationalism or, or, or belief or, or a political regime that they're willing to kill innocents. We're so filled with fear. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So filled with fear. And stopping and saying, wait, is this the only solution? Stop. Do you realize what you're doing? Exactly. 
It's the you know the wonderful example of uh, you think of the the nonviolent revolutions that happened in Poland and in the Eastern Bloc and sort of overthrow the Soviet influence there. The the unbelievable courage it took not to pick up the gun to fight against the the horribly repressive communist regime. It took more courage to do that. Or you think of gosh, you think of Martin Luther King going to the Woolworths and protesting and sitting on those on those lunch counters knowing they were going to be beaten and knowing they're going to be arrested and all the while saying this is the right way and violence only ends up defeating us. Cesar Chavez under the banner of Our Lady and organizing those farm workers so that they could be treated fairly to be able to give their children could be treated with dignity. And his prayer was extraordinary. Again, they focused on Jesus. He would organize adoration, first and foremost, the prayer of the rosary, mm. first and foremost, those spiritual acts. It's, it's so much better than, and I, and I don't mean to sound so, dare I say, catty, but a simple printed off prayer on Creator God that's passed out at a meeting, and then <laughs> we go on and we organize. I mean, what they did beforehand was a spiritual fast that can be, only be emulated by the hermits and those in cloisters. (laughs) I mean, it's extraordinary what fed them and the grace that poured into him to do extraordinary things. I think it's because they recognize that integrated whole. They recognize that we are transcendent as well as physical, that there is a, a world seen and unseen that we say every single Sunday. In today's pro life movement, we've seen very strong evidence of the ability of that type of first that spiritual battle Mm. is evident in the 40 Days for Life campaigns that have occurred throughout the United States. Just praying before those clinics, just praying and fasting and organizing in that. Look at the fruits, the lives that have been saved, and the awareness that's been brought forward. Yeah, that's an aspect of the sense of communion we can't lose, and that is that we can have communion with somebody even though we're not physically there with them. And that we can have communion with the mothers, have communion with the child within their wombs, though we can't go in and physically be with them, that we can stand outside and pray for them and, and, and think about them. And we have wonderful stories of, of, of people who've said they've received visions of guardian angels being sent by them to, to the mothers and the children in the womb. That's a communion that is as real as real as anything, any other kind of community we can think of. We, we do have to recognize this notion that we, there are things seen and unseen, and that prayer, that, that sacrifice, that fasting you were talking about before, that this is action too. That's social justice action as well, and we can't forget that. So how does communion, that the term communion, not opposition, very clearly for those out there that would see someone protesting outside of an abortion clinic, Mm. someone who would be praying a vigil at someone's execution. Mm. I mean, how is that not opposition? That's an excellent question. The same Jesus who called us to recognize the neighbor also said in in St. Luke's gospel, he said, I come not to bring peace but the sword, that I I will divide families, mothers against daughters, fathers against sons. Now, is he the one doing that? No. As a result of our fallenness, we can't see the truth sometimes. It's incapable for us to recognize the, the truth of certain things, and, and we see it in very stark ways sometimes. You look at somebody like Christopher Hitchens, for instance, who 
wrote a whole book on how horrible Mother Teresa is. I mean, oh. just the thought of that, I mean, the, mm. on a practical level, really, to spend that much time on someone who's so beloved. It hurts to even, physically and emotionally, it just hurts to even ponder it. Exactly right. And yet, for a very bright individual, Christopher Hitchens that he is, being steeped in ideology and, and in sin, ultimately, keeps him from being able to see this. And so the strive towards communion will not always result in everyone seeing the truth. You can only stand as witnesses to what the truth is, to who Christ Jesus is. And we saw in Christ, again, his example is to lay himself down, but we saw how that can also breed opposition in others. We can see how it breeds opposition in the Pharisees. Because of their fear, it breeds opposition against him and against those who follow him. And in times of, of striving towards communion, because we live in a fallen world, it's going to create opposition. This is the thing to keep in mind, especially with social justice, is that we're not in this world to stay here. We are, as Joseph Pieper, the, the great German philosopher, said, uh, we're in a, in a state of wandering, the status viatoris. We're, our goal is the next life, is heavenly glory. Uh, we are never, ever going to reach that utopia here on earth. We will never, never achieve the grand communion that we need to strive for. But that doesn't mean we don't strive for it. We have to. That's what Christ is calling us to do. This is why he says to, to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. We always strive for it, but it's going to cause opposition. And, and so the protester outside the abortion clinic or outside you know, the prison where the execution is about to take place or outside the whatever it is and protesting nuclear arms, it's going to cause opposition. It's going to cause discomfort. It's going to, to cause a, a people of different views from arguing with, with each other. But at all times we strive for communion. The ultimate victory, and this may shock some people out there, but the ultimate victory may not necessarily be the end of abortion in the United States. It may not be clear disarmament. The ultimate victory may not be a host of a whole battery of other things. Mm -hmm. The ultimate victory is what we do at the moment when called. If we can stand. Don't forget, for the martyrs of the church... It didn't look good. <laughs> it, it, they, it, the perpetuals and the felicities and the Irenaeuses and, and martyrs we will never know. Mm. And even the Edith Stein and the Maximilian mm. Kolbe, the victory was not at hand, yet their victory was because they stood. And ultimately, that's the victory we want, is what do we do called in that moment to serve Christ the way he's in or has desired for us to respond. I think that's a very good point because the question of opposition can creep into the, the the holiest of souls. You take, for instance, some folks, some very dear friends of mine who are so active in the pro-life movement, uh, doing work that is absolutely crucial. I mean, we're, we're killing children. We have a right to be, have a righteous anger over that. Mm-hmm. But it can lead to bitterness. It can lead to a kind of oppositionist attitude where we write off entire parties of people and we write off individuals, family members in some cases, because they don't agree with us, particular policy here and there. And I'm not suggesting that we don't argue. I'm not suggesting that we don't debate. That's not what I mean by communion. But I do mean, and what the church teaches, that we can't turn our backs on them as human beings. We can't constantly foster this oppositionist attitude toward the other. It all must be drawn towards the relationship that we all might have with Christ and to bring all towards that as as best as we might. 
but you're right. I mean, that's, the, the ultimate victory is going to be in our being able to answer the call in the moment that we're called so that at the end of time of our lives, uh, we might be greeted by the master who will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah, you, you never know the result. It is up to him to know. Yes. The him, I mean the capital H. Him. <laughs> it, he's the one that knows. Mary Gretty forgiving the one who assailed her, the one who would ultimately result in her death, mm-hmm. who violated such a young girl. The fact that her accuser would, after all those years in prison, repent mm. and be there at her canonization. I mean, what a testament to what it is to truly forgive and to truly turn the other cheek. It is a difficult thing being a Christian. Yeah, that's true. If it's not difficult, you have to ask yourself. Yeah, am I really trying? Am I really being the best Christian I can be? And it's going to, it's going to stretch us. Mm-hmm. It is. That's why those comments, like I remember years ago, former Governor Jesse Ventura saying that you know, religion is, is a crutch for those who are weak. You really haven't tried Christianity, have you? Mm, right. uh, it's not easy. It is a, it is a laying down our lives. It is a stretching. But that's what we're called to do, to be able to um, lay down our lives. I think we're following the example of our Savior then. That's what it really means when we do the Stations of the Cross. The Stations of the Cross for the Christian is actually the practice for life. Mm -hmm. We, We go there and we do these devotionals and we enter into it, maybe whether it's the Stations of the Cross or the entering into the mysteries of Our Lady's sorrows Mm -hmm. or any of those types of things in the church because they know it's hard. You're given this so that when the time comes in your life, in the world, you've practiced these virtues in your prayer so that you are strengthened to be able to accomplish them in the world and bear witness to them there. Precisely right. Precisely right. I was uh, thinking of uh, Fulton Sheen. Archbishop Fulton Sheen had a, a Stations of the Cross for the Communist years mm-hmm. ago. And what he focuses precisely in on is on this notion of this sort of oppositionist character that's part of the heart of Marxist ideology. And, and he again calls them through contemplation of the Stations of the Cross, through communion uh, with labor, with management, with the bourgeoisie, but also communion with Our Lady, communion with the suffering God, communion with the, the pained neighbor. That He saw that point too. Omar, we have three more points in this five-point principles of Catholic social teaching. In the future, we're going to be looking at number three, look, judge, act. That's right. Which you'll break open more for us next time. That's right, that's right. And number four? Number four, the, the four values, truth, freedom, justice, and love. Um, and it's, it's interesting, three and four come right from uh, Blessed Pope John XXIII, his wonderful, uh, you know, uh, disarming wisdom. And the fifth are the five principles, um, the five principles laid out in the compendium, uh, the five principles of the common good, the universal destination of goods, uh, subsidiarity, participation, and solidarity. Thank you, Omar. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. 
We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez.